I want to start another series and say, please don't do that. So the last time you did that, it took four months. Well, we'll land the plane a little sooner this time, hopefully, but I want to start a series on health. And I think it's kind of funny that Pastor Brett would be here tonight to hear me talk about health. Because obviously I'm not one of the people that is a paragon of what that looks like. But this is the body of a God. I want you to know that. All right? Buddha. All right. So never. But, um, but I, want to, I want to do a series that not, I wouldn't touch physical health. I'm going to leave that to somebody who is an expert. But I want to, I want to talk about a series. I want to start a series tonight entitled Healthy from the Inside Out healthy from the inside out. This passage in 3 John 2, and you know this well, Beloved, I pray, and this is John writing to his buddy, I pray that in all respects, say in all respects, that you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. This is what we want for one another, is it not? It's not just one aspect of health. Not just to be healthy in body, but to be lame in your emotions. Not to be just healthy as a spiritual man or a woman, but to be lame in your body. And that God has made us tripartite. And His desire for us, as reflected in this passage of Scripture, is that all the aspects of who we are should do what? They should exude what? Health. Because God cares about all three parts, does he not? I mean, are we attracted to things that aren't healthy? Can we just talk about that for a moment? I mean, if you go to Lowe's to buy a plant for your wife, you don't buy that, you don't buy the one on the rack that says Markdown. So how do you know about that? Oh, I know about that. But they're, they're the plants that don't look so good. You know, the, the flowers have fallen off and they, they kind of got neglected. And they're just not healthy looking and they're not real attractive. And as a result, guess what? Nobody's bringing them home. And one of the things that God has for you and I, he has health. But part of the reason that he has that health is so that we are looking different than the other folks standing in the line at the Costco. People can say, what is it about your life Where is that glow coming from? How is it that you can, in the midst of all of this, how can you still be smiling? And how come you haven't gone off and road raged somebody? God's got some health available for you and I. But I think it's important before we begin to talk about this, we define our words. Good health. What does that even mean? Does good health mean that we're happy? Is health happiness? Is happiness health? What constitutes good physical and emotional health? Who decides? Hmm. Prosper. What is that? Money? Something else? How do I get it? What does it mean for our soul to prosper? I mean, we read it, we've read it, we kind of understand it, but What does it really mean to see a man or a woman whose soul is in prosperity? Whose soul is not in a deficit, but is operating on the positive side and in surplus? 
What are the benchmarks of health and prosperity spoken of by John in this passage? And how healthy is healthy? As a pastor for a few years, people come and they're looking for the application of Scripture. They're looking for some word of wisdom, some piece of revelation to bring them from some place of a lack of health to a place of greater health. And one of the questions that I ask now right from the very beginning of a relationship like that is, what are the benchmarks you're looking for that would define health in your life? What are you looking for in emotional health? Is it to be over this pain, to be over this offense, the fact that you can sleep at night? What is the benchmark of health that you're trying to get to? You see, I believe for many of us, if we can't define our terms of what health is, what prosperity is, many times we're trying to hit a target and we have no idea where the target is. I mean, there are words that we throw out. We use them all the time. We all want to be healthy. No one's going to say, I want to be unhealthy and die prematurely. No one's going to say that. No one says, I want to be broken, poor, and ugly. Nobody says that. We want to be prosperous. We want to be happy. We want to be healthy. But we need to define what does that mean. Because there's a lot of folk in a lot of different places trying to bring definition to those words. You would agree with that? Including the church. And you can go into different parts of the church and you can plug in and listen to and download and stream And you can hear all kinds of different definitions, all different levels and tiers and revelations, quote-unquote, of what this means. And then we get bombarded by the media. Again, everyone's got an opinion about what health and prosperity looks like. Physical health. What are we eating this week? What's back on the menu? Happy to tell you, happy to tell you, butter and eggs are back on the menu, baby. Come on now. They have broken the link. Yay, barely they have broken the link. Say hallelujah. Between saturated fat and coronary heart disease. That old nasty margarine has been excised out of my house. That Yellow block of plastic is gone. It's butter now, baby. Let me just tell you. But you begin to find out that back in the 70s, there was some some pretty substantive data that came out that had already broken that link. Now, I'm going to, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Let me just tell you what what, what the next bad thing is. I'm going to break your heart here. It's sugar. My wife and I have unfortunately discovered some other data. And so sugar's off. It's been off for a while. My wife hadn't been on sugar for for decades, honestly. But the reality is somebody, some big shot, some science or some lobbyist or some food manufacturer, somebody out there has been defining this is what healthy is. This is what you eat and don't eat. What is What's the ideal cholesterol? What's the ideal BMI? And if you don't know what that horrible thing is, 
That's when your doctor sits over in the corner and begins to do the math. And it's just like, can we just not do this? Body mass index. (laughs) We all laugh nervously. What is the ideal size? I mentioned a few weeks ago that I took my wife clothes shopping. And I have one of these amazingly unusual women that I have to make her go shop for clothes. All the men are saying, would you teach at the next marriage conference? But I literally, I have to take her to a store. And, say, and so we're, we're, she's shopping, and now they've got the sizes are amazing. I mean, 12 is the new minus 2 or whatever. I mean, it's an amazing thing how they've, they've jacked. My wife has been this size forever, and she goes in this store, and all of a sudden, she's like a zero. She's feeling good. <laughs> I'm restoring my youth. But what is the ideal size? Who's deciding the current fashion vogue based on that size? Again, who's deciding? The physicians, the fashion industry, the entertainment industry? Who's deciding what healthy is? And then emotionally, Oh, my goodness, you can't pick up any literature today. And it's just like, how to tell if you're blissfully happy. Take the quiz. Eight, eight ways to know that you've achieved happiness nirvana. And so you take the list, and you got one out of eight. And you realize, I need a donut. Or at least I need a hug. Something. And we realize, I'm just, I'm not happy enough. I failed a quiz. I didn't know there was going to be a test. And to look around and what is often portrayed around us, it seems like everybody's happy. Seemingly happier than we are. And so that, then we're left with the conclusion, what's wrong? Come on. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with my environment? What's wrong with my family? What's wrong with the people? I got to get me some better friends who happier or at least will pick up the check at the donut restaurant. Something to make me happier. And as believers, this can be disastrous. I mean, we should all be happy. I mean, we got the songs we sing about joy. I mean, I've, I've been a card-carrying charismatic for four decades. I've learned the Hebrew hop and s- songs about the joy of the Lord. I mean, all the little ditties that we learned back in the 70s. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I mean, we got them all. I mean, I remember Father Abraham. I got them down, baby. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. You missed out. But we, we assume everybody's just doing a little bit better in their soul than we are because they're happy. They come in here on Sunday, they're dressed. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. And so we think that's what they're 
seven-day-a-week thing looks like, correct? But we're only seeing a 60-minute snapshot. You, you, you with me so far? I mean, so when they're sleep-deprived, because that baby does not understand REM sleep, the whole concept, when you realize that you're working for the Antichrist, It's just like something wrong with me. My roommate in college and I got saved around the same time. He had a pretty amazing story. Family life was even more jacked up than mine was. A lot of drugs. Got saved and we were in one school. We transferred together to another school. And between... One semester and the next, he came back the fall of the next year to a different city. He said, I can't do this anymore. I said, do what? He said, I just can't. I can't do this anymore. I can't be a Christian. I said, what are you talking about? He said, everybody's, everybody's just so happy. Everybody's smiling all the time. Everybody just on top of it said, I, I can't do it. It's not who I am. I said, no one's asked you to be that. He said, but I, I, I can't do it. I mean, classic, classic artist, classic melancholy, the whole thing. But somewhere he'd gotten, he, some, something had been communicated to him is that this is what it's supposed to look like all the time. He said, I, it's just not who I am. It's not who I am at all. In the 1990s, there was a convergence of two developments. Discoveries of brain, about brain activity, underlying well-being. In other words, what's happening with all of this muscle in here the little pathways that get created and get interrupted. What needs to happen for the right neural patterns to form, whereby which those things that have caused pain get shut off and those things that cause pleasure and the right thoughts get cut on. But there was a convergence between neurological discovery and the emergence of positive psychology. Positive psychology. Ed and Robert Diener wrote in a book called Rethinking Happiness. Although some 85% of Americans say they're pretty happy, the happiness industry sends the instant, insistent message that moderate levels of well-being aren't enough. Not only can we all be happier, but we practically have a duty to do so. Wow. And then we've got the media that's constantly telling us and if not that, now we have this other stuff that's filling up our devices called social media. And we're seeing the highlight reels of everybody's life. You realize that's what it is, don't you? We're not seeing the PT. We're not seeing training camp. We're not seeing anything. All we're seeing are the highlight reels of a person's week. I'm going to show you. But somehow we think this is what it looks like. So we get an Instagram of this amazing meal that they prepared at home lovingly. Somewhere there's always crab meat involved and asparagus spears, and it's beautiful. And it's just like this is what they do every night as you open yet another bag that you brought home from the drive-in. And we begin to look and we begin to compare and say, hmm, Something not right here. 
Everybody's got it right but me. Everybody's, everybody's living at this level, but I'm living here. And yet, I'm doing what Pastor Brett tells me to do. I'm reading my Bible every day. I'm in a small group. I even show up on Wednesday night every month or so. I shared my faith last, last year. I mean, I'm doing, I'm doing everything right, and yet I still feel like I'm here, and everybody else is here somewhere. Anybody with me so far? Psalm chapter 10, verse 6. He says to himself, nothing will shake me. I'll always be happy and never have trouble. We say, where'd that psalm again? I like that. Sounds great. It's only one problem. Who does the verse talk about? I'm not talking about a believer or the 1%. It's talking about the wicked. That's the wicked's testimony. Nothing will shake me. I'll always be happy and never have trouble. You see, saints, listen to me. Being unhappy on occasion is not necessarily a sign of being unhealthy. Stay with me. Occasionally touching unhappiness does not necessarily mean that you are unhealthy. Stay with me. Let's look at another song, which is a pretty good promise, Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, do not forget his benefits, who forgives your sins, heals your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. That last verse, verse 5 of Psalm 103, I believe, would be really good benchmarks of health. One, who satisfies your desires with good things. How many of you know many times we have desires, but what do we want? We don't want a broccoli spear. What we want is a remote and Cheeto dust. And so, sadly, we crave the wrong thing. There's a desire, but we want to put the wrong things in there. Let me just tell you, when health kicks in in your soul is when all of a sudden your soul begins to desire the right things. Your soul begins to desire those things that God has divinely designed and provided for you to meet that desire in that moment. I got to tell you, that's when you know you stepped into a little something. That's when you know you stepped into help. It's all of a sudden now, I know I've got this desire, and I'm going to fill it with a God thing. I'm going to fill it with that thing that God has designed to fill that hole with. First time of help, who satisfies your desires with good things. And secondly, that your youth is being renewed. We don't feel older and busted. We feel better. We feel younger. Not only in our physical bodies, but in our emotions, in our thinking as well. 1970s, two psychologists came up with what's known as a self-determination theory. In the self-determination theory, it's a macro theory of human motivation 
and personality that basically talks about intrinsically why do we do what we do. In other words, set apart from the extrinsic outside forces of media and desire and all of that, but on the inside, what makes us work? And it's called the SDT or the self-determination theory. And it holds that human beings need three things to be content. And these are the three things that these psychologists, and this is, this is pretty accepted science now. Three things whereby which provides the intrinsic motivation for human beings. Listen to this. Number one, the need to feel competent at what they do. Number two, the need to feel authentic. And three, the need to feel connected to others. Three things. Let me say them again. The need to feel competent at what they do, the need to feel authentic, and the need to feel connected to others. All intrinsic values far more significant than the external or the extrinsic values of finance, wealth, status, etc., and so forth. And as we assess health, I believe that these three things are all to truly be found, one, designed by God. Let me tell you, two smart guys in the 70s didn't invent this. These are things that I believe God has hardwired in human beings. Secondly, one, designed by God, two, found in Christ and empowered by his indwelling spirit, and three, discovered and activated through the church. Our competence, Christ in us and through us. Do you realize that your competence, regardless of how well you do a thing, your real competence comes from God? You can see a great athlete, you can see a great musician, you can see a great anything, but somewhere, somewhere, God put the stuff there. He put the wiring in there. It started with him. Oh, maybe it came, maybe Revelation drew it out. Maybe a coach or a pastor or a mentor or a parent, maybe they helped draw it out, but God put it there to begin with. And any competence that you have, is simply the fact that you've come in the recognition and revelation of what God has put inside of you, and you've married it with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what makes you competent. Second is authentic. A year or two ago, I did a series on authentic. Fearfully and wonderfully made. A masterpiece. Are you different? Real different. Matter of fact, you just flat weird. But congratulations, God made you weird. God made you unique. Not so unique that you could be, go off and get in your own little orbit and, and get in rebellion. That's not what I'm talking about. But a place that you can be authentic. Have you ever gotten in a crowd and everybody's ordering something and it's just like you know that it's going to cause you, it, it's, you're going to get hives because you're allergic to it. Oh, I, we, this is so good. I, I, I'll have that. That's not authentic. Authentic is being willing and able to say no, not just yes. 
And then thirdly, connected. The priority of relationships. It started in the garden. Adam, God, walking together. God, recognizing this man needed a help meet known as a woman. Extending all the way through to Acts chapter 2, we find that connectedness happening after Pentecost as they came together. And the church, something completely different that had never been seen before of how this little ragtag group of folks that had one thing in common... The belief in a resurrected Christ. All of a sudden, they begin to do life differently. They weren't there because they were bound by temple, law, and tradition. They were there because they wanted to be there. People never seen anything like this before. They were, they were almost afraid of it, but they couldn't stay away from it. We'll talk more about that in a moment. And we're going to look at all three of these in more depth over the next few weeks, but let's just for a moment generically consider the question and connection of happiness and health. Good health that you may prosper. Let me say this. Many times it's the lack of happiness that brings us into ever deeper places with God. I wish that weren't so. But how many of you know that when everything is just real good, unicorns and sparkles, all of a sudden, we're just happy. Many times, God is nowhere to be found in a moment like that. But it's an amazing thing that knowing that we're messed up, Went to see a play down in the city called Luther on Trial, the Landsberg Theater. Pretty fascinating because it, it broke out a lot of aspects of his life. At the end of his life, his last words were, we're all beggars. And yet when we get to that place where we can really say, we're messed up, we're unhappy. How many of you begin to reach out to something beyond yourself and what you knew when you finally got miserable enough? Hmm. Causes us to look inside and look around. Do you not think God might actually author that unhappiness? <gasps> I thought I was supposed to rebuke that. Might God actually author that unhappiness, to draw us unto himself? Hate to tell you, but absolutely. You know why? Because you and I are just not that smart to get it any other way. Isaiah prophesying to King Hezekiah of Judah, dying. And he prayed and God added 15 years to his life. And we find his prayer in Isaiah 38 Beginning in verse 15. What can I say? He's spoken to me and he himself has done this. I'll walk humbly of all my years because of the anguish of my soul. Lord, by such things men live and my spirit finds life in them too. You restored me to health and let me live. Surely it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. In your love you kept me from the pit of destruction. 
and you've put all my sins behind your back. For the grave cannot praise you. Death cannot sing your praise. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, they praise you as I am doing today. Fathers tell their children about your faithfulness. And whether we like it or not, see, many times it's our unhappiness, it's our pain that not only draws us closer to God, but it gives fuel and texture and gravitas to our testimony. Because we say, I was, but now I am. And we get to this place, and we can say, well, I was just, no, you may not have been unhealthy. It was a process that God took you in to touch your happiness for a moment. Scripture's rife with these examples. The book of Psalms, consider Job's trials, on and on. Even Jesus during the indignities of humanity. Number two, God will violate our happy to get us healthy. Uh Uh-oh. God will violate our happiness to get us healthy. Come on, parents. You do it all the time. And if you don't, then thus beginneth the new chapter. Begin it now. You've heard my story of me snatching up my oldest grandson. That moment when the universe tilted, that the grandpotter familius, being not just a purveyor of goodies and toys, actually was an instrument of wrath. As he mouthed off his mother and his little feet swung. As the grandfather familiars snatched him up. I snatched up number two as well. Now there's a big problem with number three. She's perfect. And I'll probably just give her cash and credit cards. So. Pray for me because I don't think I'm ever going to snatch her up. I'm just telling you like it is. I don't think I can do it. But here's the deal. There comes a moment that God will snatch you up. He'll leave your feet dangling. And he's got you there in a sleeper hole. He said, unhappy? Yeah, I'm real unhappy. Dangle on, baby. And he will, he will bring us to, he will touch our happiness to bring us to a place of hell. Because let me just tell you, it's in the snatching up. That's, that's a colloquialism, by the way. It means parents discipline your children lovingly unto the Lord. But if you're a little bit further down on the Mason-Dixon line, it's you snatch them up. Net effect is the same. And no, I'm not talking about child abuse here. I'm talking about biblically disciplining your children so they don't feel like orphans is what I'm talking about. And God will do the very same thing to you and I. And let me just tell you, Hebrews tells us it's not a happy moment. Anybody that says, I love discipline, bring me some more. Let me tell you, you need, you need help. <laughs> of which is beyond what we can I'm sorry. Nobody likes it. But God will violate your happy to get you healthy. And lastly, we need to rightly define the goal 
Is it happy or healthy? If we have to choose between the two, which is it going to be? Julia Baird wrote in Newsweek, the most inspiring people are those least obsessed with their own happiness. Hmm. Especially those who stride confidently across the globe to create, evoke, change, or rest life. What they will. You see, we're going to discover that both health and happiness are almost always discovered beyond self. Beyond self. It's in the giving we get. It's in the giving that we get healthy. I'm reading a book, and I cannot put it down. I probably will stay up and finish it tonight. It's called Tribe by Sebastian Junger. You'll hear more about that book in the next few weeks. Tremendous book. It's a book about how what happens in moments of stress when people are thrown together, what comes out of them, what, what happens, if you wish, tribes that get formed. And one of the stories that he references in this book is a World War II blitz bombing of London. Day after day, week after week, I mean, just destruction and carnage that even soldiers on the field didn't see. The psychiatric community was expecting no less than 4 million inhabitants just to freak out. That they, were just, that they were just convinced they're not going to be able to handle and they're not going to bear up under the stress of what's happening around them. But it's an amazing thing that as the bombing increased, psychiatric hospital admissions decreased. As people begin to turn away from just preserving themselves and their own property and begin to experience community. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? They begin to experience community and amazing things happen. All of a sudden, the neuroses begin to disappear. An incredible thing began to happen. That they were only seeing an average of two, quote, bomb neuroses a week. And we're talking about a city that was leveled under German bombers. One doctor made this statement, chronic neurotics of peacetime now drive ambulances. Suicide rates and depression decreased. And he cites story after story after story of crises, historical crises, wartime. That all of a sudden as people came together and did community, put self aside, sounds a lot like the Acts 2 church. I'm getting ahead of myself. All of a sudden, folks found themselves thrust together in community or tribes. And because of this, folks begin to give themselves away and serve one another in brand new ways. Now let me hasten to say this because I don't want you to hear the wrong thing. I believe we can do this outside of crisis. I don't believe that we have to have the bombs falling or economic meltdown or whatever else the culture might have. I believe that we can come into the help that God has for us. We can learn to be God's people, family, community. We can put aside our own pains and aches and woe. You know, mamas, you'll do a lot of things. 
That child screaming at 4 o'clock in the morning, it doesn't matter how tired you are, how sore you are. It doesn't, all of a sudden, you hear that child, come on, mamas, what do you do? And what do you do, dads? You wake, up, you wake that woman up, go get that boy. But all of a sudden, you put aside what? Your own pain. Whatever's going on in your body, whatever's going on, you put it aside for the need that needs to be met in that moment. You know, part of the challenge of our modern culture is that because we live in our little cloistered screens, we're not experiencing much life beyond the virtual. Are are you... You hear me here? And so our ability to go out and be at our best is somehow truncated because we're not doing a lot of life out there. And so as as a result, as we get more fluent, we have more toys, we become even more introverted, guess what's happening? More depression, more suicide, more neuroses. Something, something, other that, something else that needs a name, that needs a, a therapeutic path and a drug. But yet, here's a bunch of Brits in World War II. Everything that they knew to be stable and sane, rubble around them, and all of a sudden, their best comes out. What might happen with God's people? Empowered by the Holy Spirit. If we would get out there and let the best of who God is in us come out. Energize, energizing who we are as individuals, yes. Hmm. We believe in natural and spiritual reproduction. But there's a real important principle. Healthy things beget healthy things. It's just what happens. Jesus talked about trees and fruit. Sometimes I, 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 I take an assessment of my own life and I look at so the lack of health and I'm thinking, you know, this is not just about you anymore. This is not just about you feeling and looking good and being all happy and healthy. You've got a wife, kids, grandkids, one or two folk that you have influence in their lives now. You're reproducing something. Guess what? Every one of you have some sphere in, by which you are reproducing something as well. The question is, are you reproducing health? Because that's what God has promised you. Eleanor Roosevelt said this, and I'm closing. She said, happiness is not a goal, it's a byproduct. It's not a goal, it's a byproduct. Read about Eleanor sometimes. She was one tough woman. But a byproduct of what? I believe those three things we mentioned. First of all, manifestations of God's divine competence and confidence operating through us. Scripture says we lack no spiritual gift while we wait. God's given each one of us something to work with. Spiritual gifts, natural gifts. The confirmation of our uniqueness. It's not about you being exactly like Pastor Brett, Pastor Jim, Pastor Danelle. Please don't. Please be exactly who God's called you to be. 
but figure it out. There's something tragic about a 47-year-old man that doesn't know what he wants to be when he grows up. And lastly, our affirmation that only comes in our connectedness with one another. In our larger ministry world, we have some catchphrases that they, 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 we, we, we've said them for so long now, they almost seem trite. Strong, champ, go champ. But you know, there's a, there's a deep philosophy behind that. There's a connectedness that says, you know what? Even when you don't believe in you, I do. Even when you don't see it, I see it. And I'm going to continue to call it forth until you begin to agree with it. And let me just tell you, I don't care how many little hearts and how many little friends that you have on your last post. It's nothing quite like somebody getting up next to you and saying it where you can hear it. Where you can feel their breath on you, regardless of how bad it might be in that moment. <laughs> Psychologists have known for years that the quality of a person's life is in direct proportion to the quality of their relationships. And if there's anything that this is about, this kingdom, the church, God's institution of marriage, it's what? It's relationships. healthy from the inside out. It's not a matter of what the outer man looks like. Exactly like what God told the prophet when he went to the house of Jesse. Don't look at the outer man because that's not what I look at. I'm looking at the inside. And I believe that there's a measure of health that God has for us. That we don't have to live here. That God has intended for us to do what? Live here. 